You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. When my kids ever ask me, you know, what's the earliest age that I can get an iPhone? Um, I always give them that trite, that answer, 26, because that's when I got my first iPhone. (laughs) That's like a little ace up your sleeve if you're a millennial or a pre-millennial. And uh, I remember life before iPhone. Does anyone remember life before the iPhone? Yes. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> Just like changing your TV. We used to change the TV station like this. Adjust the little antennas. Talk to people, you know, <laughs> face to face. It's a it's really novel, really provincial thing that we used to do. And uh, so I remember um, I ordered online and it came in that little box that like, why do I have all of my, I can, it's okay, you can throw away your iPhone box. It's like, they're not spaceships, it's okay, you can throw your iPhone away. And the first iPhone that I ever got was an iPhone 4. Anybody here have an iPhone 4? Mm-hmm. There's glass in the front and the back, and the 4S had the Siri on it kind of thing. And it would just come out, and it was like this little mini computer, you know. And, uh, and of course, it's just, it's made of glass, which of course looks awesome, but just, the minute you get it, the anxiety you know, starts, to, so you're like that little guy at the end of Cinderella where you're like carrying this little iPhone and everything that you do when you get in in the car and out of the car because you have a thousand dollar piece of property, right, that could just splatter onto the floor and crack. How many guys uh, have ever survived an iPhone without cracking one? Is that possible? I don't even that's possible. Some of those are very conscientious people. We're probably going to run you for deacon for finances soon, you know, like <laughs> detail oriented, like that's what we need. I had a little bit of a pride issue, okay, because I didn't break any of my iPhones uh, early on. Uh, I have other people in my family that are very iPhone-breaking type of of people. And uh, until the iPhone 10 had the iPhone 4, great, glass in the front, glass in the back, no problems. I get caseless, no case, y'all, no case. This is the first time I got the case. Uh, I had the 4, I had the little 5, it was narrow, it's plastic, so it was a little bit easier. The 6 was was glassy, but I I kept it. And the iPhone, can I tell you about my iPhone 10? That was the begin- it just uh, it was the conviction of my flesh right there. So the iPhone 10, uh, I actually had just gotten a little crack on it because uh, I was I was running, I was training for a race, and I was running, and I thought, you know what? If you crack your iPhone over running a race, then more power to you. You know what I'm saying, Greg? Like I felt okay about that. <clears throat> now <laughs> the second one though, this one was on me. So um, uh, when you get married. There's different shapes and there's different personalities in that marriage. That's what makes the marriage great. It's not that everybody's the same. It's that there's opposites and they attract and sometimes conflict, right? And so um, one of the things that I am more okay about than my better half is uh, my, my cockroach tolerance is somewhat moderate. Uh, Kyra, the better half, the more genteel and... Uh, Deliberate person in my marriage is not tolerant, zero tolerance. You see this? This is how many cockroaches can be in the vacation home or we're gone, okay? So after the eight-hour drive down to Florida, I have T-minus 45 seconds to get my butt into that house and turn on all the lights to scare away all them palmetto bugs before my vacation is over. I mean, over, okay? So the very last... The very last time, me and my iPhone 10, it's the middle of the night, you know, because I was driving and I was totally awake and not asleep on the way over there. And I like stumbled up and I saw a 
daggum Klingon from Star Trek, you know, next generations crawling up the side of this thing, okay? And I'm like, got it! You know, vacation saved, and okay, and I only have my resources, what's, and, not, and no touchy, okay? I can look at you, but no touchy, okay? So I take my glass, front and back, iPhone 10, and I whipped and nanade that thing. I just, I window swiped that thing. And the phone was just, like, you remember when kids would just throw things down the steps in middle school? And then it just like dropped on the floor like flat, and that's the moment, right? Underneath the case. And I pick it up, and guys, when it's, there's a difference between cracked and like the phone is white now because it's just shattered. You know what I mean? Like, my iPhone actually used to be black, and it just, it just turned white. It just shattered. Have you ever seen? Have you seen this? this is, isn't that horrible? I see people crying. I see you guys. This is not a funeral here, you know? Uh, man, it's bad, okay? And so this is the beginning and the end, right? Leave from the door you came into when it comes to our study in Romans. Like, the prognosis that Paul gives is just utterly undeniable. Like, his understanding, looking out the window of reality towards humanity, is that humanity is not just fractured. It's shattered. That's the picture that he's giving in in Romans chapter 1. Okay, so let's remember where we started. Society, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness. I'm talking about grandmas and aunts and uncles. These are nice people. Godless, without the Spirit of God. Godless and wicked who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is the opening statement of what Paul sees in terms of the prognosis of humanity without the Spirit of God. Um, like, I'm sort of jarred at how numb I am about the Texas shooting. Like, I don't even blink an eye about that. That standard operating procedure, the risk and liability of going to a public school, this is just the standard now. Like, that used to, I mean, it was all over the news for months and months and months, and Columbine, like, when the first thing time had, it's just, oh, another, another shooting. You know how that goes. You get typhoid, you get COVID, you know, there's school shootings. It just is. Schools get shot at. Like, when does this become a normal thing? The kid, I watched one of the interviews. It's the end of the year, and they're watching um, some Disney, Moana. This girl's in fourth grade. And she hears that there's a gunman in the class, and the gunman comes to the window and looks at her right in the eye. And comes into the class, and she has her friends that she's at school all around her that they're watching Moana 16 seconds ago getting shot. Walks right up to the teacher, says goodnight to the teacher, and shoots the teacher. Like anybody that's walking outside and watch the news and does anything inside or outside family society, like something ain't right. It's not just fractured. It's not just, oh, we don't say the right doctrine on Sundays. No, it's, it's shattered. It is, a broke, it is a glass that has been dropped to the ground in irreparable rubble. That's the nature. This is what Paul's saying, the stakes here. Family life, verse 29, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. <laughs> some of y'all saw that uh, Jerry Springer show that I put up the other week. That's not too far off from some of our families. <clears throat> they are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanders and God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding. They have no fidelity, no love, no mercy. I mean, I'll be, I don't know if it's controversial to say this in church, right? Like, the, the YouTube I saw, 
the little kids are talking, and there's these, like, eggs, you know, these little eggs that are going to be born. They're like, hey, we need to get some people to take care of these eggs. You know, we need to get these eggs adopted. And here's the two dad Tyrannosaurus rexes that we got to get to take care of this. I don't know where your position is. That's not right. That's not, that's not the vision. And we have reassessed, like redefined categories of good calling it evil and evil calling it good that are not the way that we've been created. And without that compass, like minus the spirit, we're not in a good spot. From society, right, all the way to the family, all the way to the mirror. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped served, and served things rather, rather than the creator. I mean, this is the prognosis. It's, it's like, it's not that the problem is just that evil's on the news. It's in my mirror. The flesh, right, that confounds against me. It's not just that my flesh and heart wants bad things. It's actually that my flesh and heart pines after things that are good and makes them God. And I think that the world's broken because of them, not because I want a vacation more than Jesus or a, or a, or a spouse more than Jesus or perfect kids more than Jesus or a perfect house. Like, look, don't be surprised. This is what he said. This is, this is the irreparable nature, okay? So there's a beautiful moment, okay? There's hope, right? When you go to the Apple store and you hand them their phone and you paid for the Apple Care. I don't know why you did that. You never do that, but she did it and it was paid for. And you bring them the Apple phone, and they don't say, hey, look, Mr. Wong, I'm going to go back there and get you a new screen. And they don't say, we're going to get you a new battery. What do you want them to say? We got you a new phone. Have you ever gotten a new phone before when your phone looks like that when it's shattered? It's an amazing feeling. It's a brand new phone. I'll never drop you again, phone. I'll put you in the OtterBox this time, phone. I'll get the insurance. I'm never going to drop you again. <clears throat> this is the vision. Catch it. He's not fixing your life. He's not improving your life. He's giving you a new life. You have new life in you if you have anything that calls on the name of Jesus and wants him more than sin, then get ready because the Spirit of God can only make you like Jesus in the end. He is not giving you a better life. He's not giving you a fixed life. He's giving you a brand new life. And so I want to close today, almost in the same way that we opened, to read Romans 1, but inverted. This is the deal, is that when you open up the book of the Gospels and you see Jesus and the way that he is and his character and the way that he thinks and his, his nature and his pace, his convictions, his passions, the Spirit of God and the Church of God has subtracted nothing in what's in you. You have everything that Jesus has and are everything that Jesus is. No if and but commas about that. Jesus became as we are so that we are becoming as he is. There's Nothing that the church has that Jesus didn't have, and nothing that Jesus has that the church didn't have. And so this is our nature. This is our future. Not necessarily our flesh, but the spirit inside of us is making us this and nothing less. For because, let me read the inverted. Let me read the, the new creation. Not the old creation, Romans 1, but the new creation from Romans 8. This is a, this is a commentary that I found. For because they know, God, they know God, the commentator says, they honor him as God and give him thanks. They are fruitful in their thinking. They are humble in their hearts. They are enlightened. They have become fools for Christ. They have become wise. They have received the glory of the immortal God and saw his glory in mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. It's not that creation is bad. It's that we put the creation over the creator. And we actually see the glory of the creation for the first time through the lens of the one that created it. And then it says, so therefore, from there, downwind of, of, of that recapitulation of our heart, the turning over of idols, therefore God is restoring the desires of their hearts for purity, to the honoring of their bodies among themselves. 
because they gladly received the truth about God instead of lies. And they worshiped and served not the creature, but the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God is restoring their desires. Come on, this is about us right now. Delights and passions. The women glory in their husbands, and the men likewise revel in their wives, and they are consumed with passion for them, honoring the marriage bed and receiving the due reward for their obedience. He's not just fixing it. He's saturating it with spiritual life. He's taking a shattered creation, and right now, just to boast in the presence of enemies, creating a new creation right in the middle of the decaying old one. That is, is, it is nothing less than that within our midst right now because of the Spirit of God. And since they saw fit to acknowledge God, God is restoring and renewing their minds to what it ought to be. They are filled with the manner of righteousness and goodness and contentment and benevolence. They are full of gratitude with uh, gifts and brotherly love and peace and truth-telling and all virtue. They are edifiers, encouragers, lovers of God, courteous, meek, humble, inventors of good, obedient to their parents, wise, faithful, compassionate, and merciful. Like, when you think back on the day that you got baptized, which is more important than any birthday that you've ever celebrated. What became true of you is true of Jesus. This is what became true of you when, you when you got up out of that thing and went to Denny's or whatever lunch that your parents took you to. I don't know if we over, always extend the breadth and the width and the, and the depth of the saturation of the new life that has come up inside of us. They know God and they decree God's truth to those that practice these things in faith and they will receive eternal life. And not only do they practice them, they encourage others to do the same. And so I just want to show you a, a, a quick better picture. I've been drawing these little sketches. Rose did a better picture of the, the general uh, you know, summary, I guess, of the book of Romans. And that is that the gospel, through faith, has caused us not to just become better, to become new. That the power of sin that was over us has now died has been crucified with Christ, and therefore now we no longer live if we are in Christ, but we live into the Spirit. And what is on the other side of that cross, that Spirit-filled life that sees government different, that sees family different, that sees differences and race distinctions different, that sees what's possible and impossible different? No eye has seen, no ear has heard what has been prepared for those that have been called to Christ Jesus. The world doesn't get it, and therefore we ultimately don't get it. We need faith to believe what is on the other side of that cross, and we live this new spirit-filled life, in other words, if I could sum it up in one sentence for this book, it is that he became as we are so that we become as he is. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of you, and whatever is true of you is true of Jesus. So as we've closed down this last little segment on gospel unity, Paul is not interested in a shallow gospel encounter for the church and, um, and his spirit. He wants to see a deep renewal that takes place within the, the heart and the mind of the church. And so within gospel unity, he's saturating this room even in the truths of the Holy Spirit. And so likewise, his letter, you're going to notice, I'm going to read some of these uh, closing statements as he winds down chapter 15. You're going to notice a lot of vertical words, things that he used in chapters 1 through 8, uh, applied into horizontal day-to-day -day life. Some of these grandiose, cosmic, big justification, acceptance, wonder, joy, peace, all these things that he described about the way that heaven is, is also the way that we eat lunch together. Also the way that we, we talk to each other. Also the way that we, that we talk about each other when we're not in the room. So listen to some of these closing remarks he says. He says, you know, we that are strong, we're to bear with the failings of the weak, and we're not supposed to please ourselves. You remember what the Spirit of God comes to do? The flesh looks to please yourself. The Spirit of God pleases, pleases God. It makes God happy. So there it is. What pleases God? Not pleasing ourselves and pleasing our brother. The vertical has now become horizontal. 
Each of us should please our neighbor for their good and build them up. For even as Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. There's no such thing as somebody that loves God and hates their brother. Because like a breath, inhaling in and exhaling out, there's no way to love God without loving neighbor. That's not a breath. For everything that has been written in the past was written to teach us so that uh, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provided, that would provide hope for the church. Verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind that you would have the same mind as Christ, as it talked about in uh, Romans 8, towards each other in Christ Jesus, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a cosmic call and a simple command. It's in verse 7. How are we going to see the nations change? How are we going to um, see generational curses uh, broken off? How are we going to see the kingdom of heaven in our midst? What's the practical way to apply deep theology? Verse 7, pretty simple command. Accept one another. Accept is more than tolerate. It doesn't just mean don't attack one another or hold back nasty comments. Accept means the warm, familial, inviting attitude that Christ had towards you Do that for other people. Accept one another. How are you going to see heaven invade earth? Accept one another. Don't judge one another. This is our spiritual act of worship. Remember, what is it? Living sacrifice. By faith, build up the body of Christ. Don't tear it down. Accept one another. This is Paul's message. Which kinds of people? Some people? No, all people. He just went through it. The weak and the strong and the poor and the the powerful, right? And the and the people that are mature and the people that are not mature because it's not on the basis of status or class. It's based on faith. It's not based on what's expedient. It's based on the image of Jesus. How did Jesus treat me? That's how I treat you. How do I respond to this gift that he's given me? I offer myself as a living sacrifice. To who? To you. To us. This is what he's saying is the spiritual act of worship, which is acceptance. It is the belief that we have tried every other banner and political campaign and speech and politeness and social code and every other kind of organizational thing to find unity and nobody can find it. It's all bankrupt except for the power of the gospel. That is a miracle to find unity within any type of place and through faith. And so this is what he says, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant, a servant of the Jews on the behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Moreover, the Gentiles might glorify God as his. As it is written, all of the nations, all of the different corners of the globe, everything that you learn in geography class, every single nation, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. All those people, they belong to God. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord of you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations In him, the Gentiles will hope. And then it says, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever um, had a uh, problematic flooding in your yard before? You know, like uh, just a place that's never dry. You could have the Sahara Desert over here in the far left corner. It's dead, barren. I mean, you couldn't pray Elijah's rain. You know, you couldn't pray rain down on this one patch, right? But over here, it's just like a little kiddie pool. I mean, you could have a diving board set up and it's so, so wet, right? And so the, the, the picture um, that, that, we're, that we get from Paul is not this shallow, the gospel comes to fix where we go on Sundays picture. We have a shattered world, and according to Paul, the way that he is 
closing up his letter, in the spirit, a saturated world in the gospel. And so he wants to see at every level, at every angle, and in every way, the gospel saturate things. And so what, what's happening here at the very end of this, of this letter is that we're moving from the message of Paul into the mission of Paul. We get to see, aside from Professor Paul, brilliant, smart, waxing, killing it, theological, right? And the Pastor Paul, who's super sharp with being able to apply the ways that the Jews and Gentiles and the social categories that were kind of causing conflict in the church. And now you just get to see the man. You ever just get to, like, when your dad, you know, you just get to see, like, his character, like what he's about. And in this closing little logistical area, he starts to talk about his mission, not just the message of the gospel, but the mission. But what you're going to see is that to him, the mission and the message are not separate, that the mission of God is saturated by the message of God. And everything that he does horizontally all is, uh, is, is echoing in the vertical beliefs that he has about God. In other words, the righteousness in Christ that comes to us through faith is not just about vertical, it's about horizontal. That the righteousness of Christ, the full gift of righteousness, this is the problem. It's like, I think we come to the passage with our cultural bias and background and we think, the righteousness of Christ has come to help our guilt. That the, that, the, that the gospel has come to offer innocence to those that are guilty. But that's not the full picture. The full picture is not guilt and innocence. The full picture is brokenness and wholeness. Righteousness is not, cannot just repair this relationship. It repairs this relationship. And so everything that Paul is doing and saying is all flooded and saturated at every level in every area with that gospel. And so what you would get the picture of is that he doesn't just want to see little sprinklets of water of the gospel to hit your lawn and then bounce over to your neighbor's lawn. He wants it to saturate in your lawn. He wants it to get so flooded into your heart and your mind and the way you do your budget and the way that we do our koinonia, our fellowship, the way that we drive our car, the way that we do government, that it's so flooded that what happens when your lawn gets flooded is why we have to have these planning meetings is that the water begins to do what? It overflows into the neighbor's yard. This is the picture. He's not trying to sprinkle so you ang ang angle the sprinkler some of the time on your lawn and then some of the time on that lawn is that it so saturates this place that it floods into the neighbor's lawn. That it would so overflow. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and trust in him so that you would overflow that kind of hope. It would seep and ooze out of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so three points today as we make our way through the ends of this letter. Number one, because, because he sees it not as a sprinkled but as a saturated gospel. The saturated gospel does not make converts, it makes disciples. He's not interested in students. He's interested in teachers that can teach teachers. And there's a saturation that takes place, not just a sprinkling or a misting of the gospel. Second, in terms of his method, he's not doing business. He will not co-opt the mission of God to be done by business what's supposed to be done by family. He won't do it. He won't justify the ends by the means and cause the church to become a business to accomplish the ends of the gospel. He's doing gospel mission the gospel way which is family, not business. And lastly, that the message of the gospel is so much deeper and richer and wider than just repairing the relationship with God and man, but it's right relationship with brothers and sisters and, uh, and churches. So let's make our way to close up this, uh, this letter. Verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. This is the outcome of the gospel, not just that people can spit off the Bible facts, right? But they're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another, that he's not trying to raise disciples, but he's trying to raise disciples that make disciples, in other words. Verse 15, yet I have written you quite boldly on some of these points to remind you. That's interesting. Like, he didn't just write this letter as though it was the first-time interaction. He's, he's writing these people because how many of you guys need to be reminded of the gospel every now and again? Need to get saturated. Need to see that thing go deeper and deeper and deeper because ultimately, the, the deeper is the wider. 
These are not two contradictions. These are not two juxtapositions. So he's reminding them of the gospel because of the grace that God uh, gave me. Verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, and he gave me the priestly duty for claiming the gospel to God so that the Gentiles might be an offering acceptable. So what is the acceptable offering? Somebody that confesses a certain set of doctrines? No. The offering is a fully sanctified Gentile. That's what God wants. God doesn't just want people that can sing the song together on Sunday. He wants people, right, that are sanctified into his likeness, that are complete offerings. So then verse 17, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, and I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey what I have said and done. Not because it's me, because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders and through the power of the Spirit of God. So the Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered in coming to you. And so you can see there it is, the saturation that Paul has, this vision, like what's in Paul's head when he gets up in the morning. It's a vision, not just for the, the encounter of the gospel, but the saturation of everything that's new past the cross. All of that stuff, all of that reteaching and discipleship is all taken such a root in it that the offering is not just converts, but it's sanctified disciples. It's fully made disciples. And so uh, I had the privilege of... Um, hanging out at uh, the radio room the other uh, week to go and uh, witness the greatness of D-Dove. How many of you guys have ever, how about a hand for Darrell Dove and all that he uh, serves uh, at City Lights on Easter? Man, listen, if you've seen Darrell Dove on Easter, you have not seen, you have not even seen the cusp of this man. Like, he is just so, I mean, he's just the best. And so, um, man, there were things, Darrell, I live in a bubble. Okay, I live in the bubble's bubble. You understand? I'm a pastor, okay? So it's like some of y'all guys are living out here. There's a bubble, and most of us are most of the time in the bubble. I live in the bubble's bubble. Like, I got to go really, I got to put on a mustache and some glasses to go outside and go somewhere where it's like, you know, I'm going to go see the real world. Darrell lives out there. Am I right? Darrell, am I right? This first, boy, grandma would have blushed. If I would have taken, I mean, I was blushing. Some of the stuff that people were talking about uh, on relevant issues, but nonetheless, very... Um, very direct in the uh, communication skills there um, of, of, this, of this spoken word thing. Uh, it was like a, like a, a mini-church, Darrell. Like it was people sharing their heart. It was people finding community and people ultimately coming for the poetry but meeting the people. And I want to tell you something. Like God's no, God's, God's no slouch. He has people assigned in places that we don't know. We're not supporting them as mission partners, okay? We're not training them and sending them off to uh, school and send them to seminary. He just picks people, and he sends them out there, and then he works it out. And Darrell, you ever just meet somebody that, like, their tone, their, their whole, isn't it cliche, the vibe, like, the whole aura, the whole just general thing that Darrell is carrying himself with is just different. And it's obvious, and you'd have to be either ignorant or ignore it to recognize that it's just different. He's like, the way that he's holding the camera, and the way that he's cheering other people on, and the way that he is giving excellence to this craft, and even tying his hand behind his back with some of these really like incendiary topics that you could bring up to get clout and get connection with your audience, he's holding things, those things back because he's trusting what? That the authority and the anointing of God of speaking truth is going to have more impact than the fleshiness of something that's going to stir somebody up in their flesh. And it is, un it is unmistakable that this guy comes from another place and he's serving a different God. And all I'm saying is he's not on our website, Right? And he's not getting any support, and God's just using him. So I want to show you this little uh, chart, okay? So this is a little chart. It's called the, um, 
uh, what do we got here? It's called the Engel scale. There it is, Engel scale. Did you know that, um, that everybody's all over the map when it comes to Jesus? I mean, there's not just believers and unbelievers. It's all over the map about people's relationships. I don't even know if there's two relationships that are the same in Jesus. You can't see in the back, but there's a green, a yellow, and a red, and a blue, right? And the green represents the furthest away from Christ, like avoids the truth, you know, antagonistic, will yell at you if you even bring up anything remotely around the gospel. There's a sowing area, a place that if you were to plant seeds, they wouldn't necessarily agree with you, but they're, they're hearing you. They're hearing you. There's a, there's a red section. This is a ripe section, a place that it would just take a few intentional conversations, a few questions, that you would begin to harvest what God has been sowing. Probably seven, eight, nine people that you have no idea, people like Darrell that have been sowing into this person's life, and if you were just to bring up the question, I love this question, right? Kyra's been asking this question to people. Are you now ready to trust Christ? I love that question. Not are you a Christian, are you now ready to trust Christ? Because I'm assuming that God has been working on your heart, and it's just a matter of time until he's created a window, until you're ready. And so I want to know, are you ready? And I don't want to miss the window. I don't want to push down the door if you're not ready. But if you're ready, I don't want to miss, I want to be ready for your readiness. And lastly, the discipleship continues beyond, the, beyond into now, that even in the seats of these chairs right now are different people at different steps that are just trusting in faith. Maybe it's some people that have been attracted to the works of the Holy Spirit, and they're, and they're learning about the truth that comes along with them. Some of these people, you know, you've been built up and baptized as a little baby infant. You've been in Sunday school, but you're not sure if it's real, and you're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're all in these different things, and that's why we talked about in Romans 14, the colorful church, not the gray church that doesn't just compromise, but loves and supports and welcomes the diversity of the way that God's work, because this is God's workplace. And so what's my point? What's my point is that you're not Jesus. We're Jesus in the mission of God. You're the hand. You're the foot. You're the eye. You're the elbow. You, you don't need to play Matt's part in the gospel mission. You need to play your part in the gospel mission. And so just consider this, right? Like wherever you're planted, you don't need to go somewhere to be on mission because you're a missionary. That the gospel has saturated our world and made every stranger into a neighbor. Every stranger fits somewhere on that grid. Whether or not you're available is a whole nother question. And so if you consider some of these things, um, you are, some of you guys um, have different, uh, each of us has different levels of wisdom, okay? Uh, each of us, each of us has different amounts of experience, different amounts of, of conviction, compassion. Like when you go and talk to a neighbor, you're going to have feelings that come up in you in the spirit that are different from mine. And so those are unique to you and you need to uh, be obedient with that. With the relationship that you guys, some of you guys have very small, close circles of intimate relationships. Some of you guys are running for mayor. You have, you know, dozens and dozens of relationships, and you're not called to be doing uh, ministry in a mission field that's different from the one that God has called you to. The different skills. Paul was a tent maker. What do you do? Are you a teacher or a computer, you know, designer person? Are you an engineer? Like, these are the skills that God has put on purpose. What is your health level? Some of us are super strong and have tons of energy, and some of us don't, and some of us are sick, and he's not calling you to be uh, preaching and being a missionary, right, as a healthy person, as though you are sick or sick as though you're healthy. Different amounts of money and so forth. And so the, the idea is, is not to, do, not to do all the mission, it's to do uh, his mission with your shape, with your calling. And then the, the relaxing, right, the, 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 the really encouraging reality here is that we're not expected really to take God anywhere, but just join him where he's working. And just say, Holy Spirit, like, I know that you're the gardener, you're working on the soil, Okay? And so, so let me not just believe in the, the message of Paul, but also the mission of Paul to see the gospel saturated in the areas where we work, live, and play. 
All right, moving on. There's more to see in this, in this message that Paul has at the end of his letter when you get to see the way that he uh, runs his mission. Verse 23, but now, he says that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing to go for many years, I plan to go to Spain now. Okay, so he's going to Spain, and we find out more about what's on the other side of the telephone that he's calling the Romans with. I hope to see that you, while you're passing, uh, and passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed the company, your company for a little while, verse 25 says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among you and the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with their material blessings. So uh, just to be candid here, like he's running a little support letter. Did you catch that? You ever get a letter in the mail, right? And the person's going to Campus Crusade for Christ. They're going to Peru. They're going to Nicaragua. Like, you know what's going on, right? But he actually, if you look at this, he, he breaks the number one rule that Campus Crusade tells you to, not to do, right? He breaks the rule. He never asks for money. He just shares about the vision. He shares about what God is doing. And he expects that back in Romans 12, that God meant it, that we're not here to obligate ourselves to be a spiritual offering, but to offer ourselves as a spiritual offering. And he never twists anybody's arm. He simply trusts that the Spirit of God in you will want to make God happy, and you'll offer your body and your wallet and your time, spiritual and material included. Okay, so verse 28. So after I have completed the task and made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain. So here it is. You see the metaphor from the SAT, right? Macedonia is to Jerusalem as, fill in the blank, the Romans are to Spain. Let's follow the model of our brothers and sisters, and let's contribute. He never asked for the money, but he puts it out there as just the nature. I know that this is your nature. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that by the love of the Spirit, you will join me in the struggle to pray, uh, pray to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I make to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and your company, uh, in your company be refreshed. And verse 33, and that the God of peace will be with you all. Amen. All right, now here is probably the part when you were reading Romans, you're like, I'll just tell the small group that I read through it, but I'm not going to read it because this is just the most crazy, boring phone book section, okay? He lists about 25 names that are at the end of this letter, but Paul's no slouch, I'm telling you, and neither is the Lord, and, and he's paying a lot of money to send this letter. Like, every word would have cost, I mean, this would have cost thousands of dollars, like, in today's day and age to send this letter to this little church in Rome, and he's, he's using his real estate on his page for important reasons. I'll show you. Okay, so verse 1, this is the beginning of, of, of chapter 16. He says, I commend to you um, our sister Phoebe, a deacon. Holler for the female deacons, y'all. There it is. Bi biblical. It is. Female deacons. There it is. Okay. Phoebe, a deacon. She's the one that would have read this letter. She would have walked up and read the letter front to back. You guys think I'm reading a lot today. <laughs> you guys wouldn't have been in the church in Rome. Verse 2, he says, I asked you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Now, here we go. Now, uh, verse 3 is interesting. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, uh, husband and wife, team, I think, uh, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only uh, I, but all the churches and the Gentiles are grateful for them. Ah. So Priscilla and Aquila, does anybody have a guess as to what kind of ethnicity that those names are? Did you say Jewish, Greek, or Roman? It's actually Jewish. These are Jewish, Jewish people, and they are hanging out with, verse 4, the Gentiles. Interesting. Verse 5, greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, Jewish, Greek, or Roman. What do you think? Ah, Greek. You're actually going to see a little bit of a one-two, one-two punch here because he's going to go Jew and Greek and Jew and Greek, okay? 
Epinetus, who was the first to convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Verse 6, greet Mary. Now you think about that. Mary uh, is Jewish, a Jewish woman who worked very hard for you. Greet verse 7, Adranicus and Hunia, which this is interesting. Hunia probably uh, would be a female name. Uh, My fellow Jews who have been in prison for me, not only are they deacons, they are outstanding among the apostles. Uh, Watch out. Uh, So, yeah, there it is. Uh, Female apostles in verse 7. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Verse 8, greet Apolletus, another Greek name, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, uh, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend uh, Stachus. Okay, and then he goes on, and he says, Apelles and Astrobolus and Herodian and Narcissus. That's a great Christian name, just Narcissus. That's, that's just incredible that that is in Romans 16, okay? Uh, Tryphenia, uh, Tryphosa, uh, Persis, Rufio, Rufus uh, from Hook. And then he hits you with the, with the Roman names, which is interesting because he, he actually would equate, right, the Roman people with power. But he's put, has, has anyone ever heard of anything that Jesus ever said about the first being last? And I don't know if you guys ever see that in the Bible. But anyways, verse 14, these are the Roman names, uh, Asicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, Philogus, Julia, Norius. Greet them all with a holy kiss unless it's COVID, right? Okay, so this has not been a waste of paper, right? This has not just been a waste of time to kind of like, you know, corral everybody at the very end and make everybody feel good. He's not saying greet them for me. He's saying you what? Go greet them. You Jewish person who is so angry at them about the way they roll their eyes, you know, at the kosher diet that you have, and they're like in, 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 inflicting the, the church with all these like what you would consider heretical doctrinal things and, and beliefs and cultural practices. He's saying, hey, accept one another. Don't just do it because it's expedient. Do it because this is what Christ did for you, right? Because the model here, the model here is, is family. And so... Um, if you guys have ever uh, have any grandmas before, you know grandmas, uh, they will show up uh, to your recital just because you're in it. You know what I mean? Like you don't even have a part and grandma's going to sit there and watch you be the backup, sitting on the front row, never performing. Like grandmas will show up just because you're in it. This is the idea because your name's on the brochure is the idea. I was in a, a church planning meeting one time and we read this, this book. I think it was called The Simple Church and it was why, you know, church cultures get cluttered and why, um, you know, you can, you can miss the message in the, in the midst of all the busyness that goes on in church, and churches do well to simplify, to make it real clear. And so one of the public enemy number one things that they were saying is you should get rid of the church brochure. Have you ever been in the church brochure? It shows up, and Sister Mary Josetta needs this kind of prayer, and Sister and Brother Phil and Brother uh, Pat and these things, they all need these things. And it's just this cheesy church culture thing. They're like, tear it up. We don't need the church brochure anymore. You know, put the brand name on it and tell them the three words that you do, and then, you know, make it, make it about vision. And you just get rid of the clarity and exchange it for vision, you know. And I was all about it. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, kind of confusing. And if there's a guest here, I don't know why they need to read all these names. But I want you to just pay attention to this. Like, there's no website names in this chapter. There's, no, there's nothing on here that says City Lights Church. There's nothing on here that says New Spring Church. There's nothing on here that says Redemption Church. It just says names of brothers. Like, that's enough. That's what it seems to be saying. And so I really do rethink this thing. It's like, it makes me ask this question. Why would the names not be enough to come? Why do we need a brand name? Why can't it just be brothers, names? Is that not enough? Like, I feel it in me. Like, why don't I care? I don't care because I don't think that they're part of me. I don't care because I'm not their grandma. I don't care because I don't, if you're not doing something entertaining to me, meaningful for me, doing something that like gets into my story and tells me about why I'm great, I don't care. So we build the church, right? This is the big three, the systems, the culture, the people. There's either a really great person and they're magnetic and we're coming for that guy or girl. 
There's a great system, and it's going to tell me exactly what I do with my kids and exactly how I'm going to read my Bible and exactly what I'm going to do with my neighbor, and it's going to break down the system. And I'm coming for the system. I'm not coming for the brothers. I'm coming for the system. Or the, some things, if you're really great, you can make a culture, and you can come into a room, and there's a sway. There's just a feel, a force, a momentum of values, of five key words that we're all honed in on, and there's this culture. But you know what? You know what, what Paul is going to outlast in us in all these things in the gospel is he's building the thing not on people's systems and culture, but on names, on brothers and sisters, because if names are not enough, then nothing's enough. The kingdom of God is not built on, built on brand names, but on brothers' names. And so I love uh, just an idea as, as we think about this passage, but uh, our, our friends, the Gouches, they have their Christmas cards. They don't throw their Christmas cards away. They actually keep them. What would it mean to actually hold your brothers and sisters, those pictures in your heart, and pray for them? I guarantee you that the five minutes after you get done praying for a name, compared to the beginning of not praying for them, you're going to be more prepared to, to care for them, preach to them, love them, provide for them. I guarantee you that you will never lose profit in prayer, that every moment of prayer, that as you pray for somebody, as you meditate on their name and all the promises of God over their life, you'll be more ready to be a missionary in their life than before it. There's no way that that's not true. And so closing up in, verse, uh, in chapter 16, he closes and he says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and this is the final warning, he says, to watch out, to watch out, he says. This is how he closes it. For those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have heard. If you look at verse 17 and break it down, what's the opposite of the teaching? The opposite of the gospel is actually division. This is what he says. How do you know if you're not listening to the right teaching? You're divided. If you find a divided church, you know that they have not listened to the gospel. There's no deviance from that. So verse 18, for such people are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ by their own, but by their own appetite, by smooth talk and flattery that deceive the minds of naive people. You know why religious churches will always be divided? Because religious churches are based on self-righteousness, not Christ's righteousness. And so if my self-righteousness is based on the fact that I'm justice-oriented, then I can judge and divide from everybody that's not justice-oriented. If I'm organizational-oriented, I can judge and look down and have contempt on everybody that's not organized. If I am, you know, charismatic gifts of the Spirit-oriented, then I can look down and divide from everybody that doesn't have gifts the way that I get. You see what I'm saying? You see why a self-righteous church will always be divided because religion divides and the gospel unites. The gospel says that all people have sinned. All people come to Jesus, and everyone in Jesus has the same Spirit. So how could the people that have the same Spirit under the royal, royal law of love find anything but ultimate brotherly unity and love and affection? We've been exposed if our churches are divided. Not because we haven't organized the right way. It's because we have missed the gospel. It's one and the same thing. It's a synonym to him. The gospel is unity and division is religion. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of nine people. Everyone has heard about their obedience, so I rejoice uh, because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent what is evil. And there it is. Look at this. So all that silly how we handle church brochures equates to verse 20 for him. The common equates to the cosmic, verse 20. The God of peace will soon what? Crush Satan under your feet. Do you know what you're doing when you care about names more than brands? You're crushing Satan. You're doing what the broken world does not do, which is actually please God by looking to please others and accept others and warmly embrace others the way that Christ accepted you. This is how the kingdom is coming into this place even now. And so as I close... If the, the message, right, or the mission of the gospel is to do disciples and not converts, and if, if the method of the gospel is to do family and not business, the message, the, the actual true message, the full message of the gospel is that everything that's broken will become whole. Everything that's, that's been shattered because of the Spirit, not if or when, but because of what Christ has done, will become whole in Jesus' name.
that he has created all things under himself to become unified, to be saved, changed, and unified in the gospel. If I hired somebody else to come out to my yard and get rid of all the weeds and they just sprayed water on it and there's still weeds, I didn't think he did his job, right? If I sent my kid to the great private school and spent all the money and they got all the way through ninth and 10th and 12th grade and they get out of 12th grade and they can't read, the teacher didn't do their job. And if the Spirit of God looks down at a church and they can't figure out how to get along, then the gospel's not done working yet. The job's not done. We live in a shattered world, and it's not just trying to make a sprinkling of converts that can sing along on the songs on Sunday, but a, a group of people that are so saturated in the gospel that it overflows to their neighbor's yards. And Paul seems to be persistent in committing himself to this and calling you and I to that exact same calling, that you and I, according to our shape, not according to our neighbor's shape or Paul's shape, according to our background, the amount of money we have and intelligent wisdom to simply live out the gospel mission where we are. And this is where I think we can end today in the same way as we began. Paul says in chapter 1, as we remember back on verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the wholeness, the shalom of God is revealed. A righteousness that's by faith. It's not by coercion or manipulation or sales or tactics or strategies or, or politics. It's by faith. Salvation by faith, change by faith, unity by faith, from first to the last, just as is written. The righteous, the righteous will live by faith. So as I close, I mean, I came into this passage, uh, whatever, in January and, and been praying this, you know, for myself and for our church. Like, what does it mean to have boldness in the gospel? Are we becoming ashamed of the gospel? Are we becoming cold? and apathetic about the gospel. And I think when I come down to like not just the message, but the man, like what I see in Paul is the reason for his boldness is that he actually believes it. He actually believes that the saturation of the spirit into the church can actually repair everything that's shattered and broken. He actually believes that. And not only that, he believes it to the, ex to the exclusion of everything else. He's burned the bridge and set his sail against any other thing that's going to make anything right in our life, in our marriage, in our kids, in our neighbors, in our church, than the gospel. He is a, like a, a one-targeted missionary that is only aimed at one thing, and that is the gospel. The gospel for you, you and me, in me, around me, in you, and through you, to strangers, to neighbors, to foreigners, to family, to every place. This place, this broken, shattered place, is being made whole in the gospel because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb. And so I just want to invite you, wherever you are, to believe the gospel, to believe the gospel as a daily thing, not just on Sundays, not just the A through C of, of, of life, A through Z, everything, to see the gospel saturate and color everything that you see and do. And just as a simple kind of rhythm that we call people to here at the church, and even has to do with the summer nights that we're doing this, this summer, as well as into the fall when we get, you know, focus on, on small groups, um, is it, simply this, is to begin at the table. This is the thing, is I think that the disintegration of our world, the division of our world, it separates the word and the bread and the prayer. It creates these categories where I just do word, or maybe I'm just a word person, and, and this is the deal. When word comes out of family, it just becomes school. And you've looked at the Bible before, and it's just been school to you. And it's not meant to just be word, you know, by myself over here where I analyze it and, 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 and critique it and critique sermons and think about these lofty theological thoughts. Like, the word is for the table. Some of us are just doing bread. Bread is relationship, right? And we're good at that, the vulnerability thing and the friendship thing, but there's no truth. There's no word. And so we're just doing as the world does. We're just doing friendship, but we go to this place on Sunday, basically. 
But mainly, we're not talking any different. We don't have different hopes or different aspirations or different dreams. We're, we've, we've taken the bread away from the table. Some of us are doing prayer, but it's not with Scripture. It's just yoga. What do we do, right? When we take prayer away from Scripture, we meditate. That's not the point. The point is not disintegration and division. It is wholeness. It's integration to bring the word and the bread and the prayer to the table. Where I, I'm laid bare before the Spirit of God, before the Word of God, and before the people of God, and trust that not only does God have a mission for me, he has a method for how I'm doing it. It's family. There's no other way. There's no other circumventing way that I'm going to do it through the school and through the, you know, through the, through the, uh, the, the conference thing or through the brand thing. It's like he's doing it through family. He's doing it because he wants to prove, right, to the nations and to his family that it's him and not us. It's names over numbers. And so just to call you to a meal, a breakfast, what is it? A lunch or a dinner, intentional rhythms of bread and word and prayer. I've been talking about how we've been doing this at my table with family. And um, I know that at groups, this is what we're doing. And it's just a simple thing. It's not super sophisticated, but it seems that Paul's mission and his method is all drenched in this one thing, that the family of God would get into the spirit of God under the word of God to see the mission of God go forth. Jerusalem and Judea, the ends of the earth. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.